This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 99 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and two ladies today have joined us to uh, give us a little levity in the horse world and give us a little knowledge, too. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Coach Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you down there in Florida with all your, uh, you making the news a lot today? Oh, gosh. Thank goodness. We, uh, we are all through with Irma. We still have a lot of trees lining the streets here waiting for the county to come and pick them up. Oh but goodness. other than that, we are pretty well over Irma and I-J-K-L-N. Don't yeah. you have like some other names coming up too? Well, several. Nate. We have had two other ones come through since then. They both missed us. Thank you very much. Oh, good. Good, good. So we are well, currently out of the weather news. But unfortunately in California, you are in the weather news. I was going to say, if you got any extra water, we could use it over here. I know we're a little far away. But yeah, the the... California is burning up right now as we speak. They don't have it under control in Northern California. And, you know, I'm starting to think I might have to taste my wine with a little ash in it (laughs) the next coming years. But that's not the biggest problem we have. We have the evacuation for horses and animals and everything is just an unknown at this point. And in Southern California, I have friends that were, I was in Solvang in Central California uh, earlier this week, uh, which I do, I typically am up there every week, but early in the week. And by the time I record toward the end of the week, these shows, uh, we kind of got it sorted out, but in Southern California, people are, I think it's only about 25% contained today wow. as we speak. And people have the, the loss of life has been minimal unless you count wildlife, which is immeasurable, but, the loss of equestrian centers and it, it it's very real here the loss of housing and everything people were really just getting out with bathrobes and photo albums and animals and that's about it i had a girlfriend two girlfriends that were going back and forth with their two horse trailer mm-hmm. Uh, rescuing a couple of different equestrian centers in Orange Park Acres, which is near Anaheim, which is near Disneyland. You know, mm-hmm. it's the countryfied part of Orange County. And and uh, Cota de Casa area was taking in a bunch of animals from the Corona area for people who know Southern California. It's deserty, hot, and a little overbuilt out there. And these equestrian centers are sort of in the middle of these residential areas. And there's usually just one road in and out. And so they were in 10-foot walls of flame on either side of the road and literally could feel the heat coming through the windshields in the trucks, getting horses in and out and uh, getting as many old, young, anything. It, just anything that they could throw in their trailer. Uh, loading was a little bit of an issue on some of them. And uh, 
even the minis, one girl says, can you just stick my minis amongst the the big horses? And like, no, we want them to come out untrampled. <laughs> yeah. So they could get stuck underneath of there. Ooh. Oh my goodness. You know, people were just desperate to get their, their horses out. And you know, this, I imagine that you probably heard a few lessons learned in evacuation protocols when you were amongst your hurricanes. Um, this was the first time we ever had to bug out in a, in Mm. any kind of a natural disaster. We've always been able to throw everything in the trailer and go. Yeah. Well, we, we planned for it in that when the word came through that there was a good possibility that the storm would be a, a category five when it came across Ocala, right across the middle of Ocala, we made the decision at that point, And that was about three days before the storm actually made landfall that we needed to move now because here's the problem. If you wait, it's like, well, it's got about a 40% chance that it won't hit us as a category five and we'll be fine. So let's wait another 72 hours. The problem is if things keep going South by the time you're that close to landfall, there's no fuel left to get away with. Uh-huh, you can't right. drive anywhere. The interstate is clogged because right. everybody else is leaving. And there's nowhere to go because everything's full. Full. Oh, my goodness. That's true. So we made the decision early on that we will bug out. So we did have uh, 24 hours to get things packed up and moved because we actually had to make two trips to where we stayed, which was only about a 40-minute drive away. But it was in a solid concrete building where us and our horses stayed. So we did it early. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it, we, we, I kind of felt like we stayed at a bomb shelter. It was a concrete block <laughs> barn, and uh-huh. we stayed in the tack room of the concrete block barn, which right. had four concrete block walls. All four walls were concrete block, interior and yeah. exterior, and it had steel um, blast doors. All, all, Good. Both wow. of the doors in, in, the, in the building had a regular people door, but then covered it up with a steel sliding door for security purposes because the building was only used part of the year, as many oh, are here in Ocala. So I felt very safe. I slept through the whole storm. <laughs> <laughs> it must be so loud. How do you do I didn't that? Even, I didn't even notice. But what I did learn is you are never as prepared as you think you are. Okay. All right. Tell us. Okay. So for those of us who are content to, you know, think, oh, it won't happen to us. What should we be thinking about? What we got caught up in some superfluous things. Mm -hmm. You need four things when you're bugging out. You need fuel to get where you're going. Right. You need water. Right. You need forage for you and your animals. Good. You notice I didn't say grain. I said forage. Yeah, good. Yeah. And you need containment for your animals. And depending upon what kind of containment you're going to have, you might need bedding. Mm-hmm. After that, you don't need saddles. You don't need bridles. Mm-hmm. You don't need fly spray. <laughs> you know, just boil it down to the basics and then take as much of those few things as you can rather than taking a whole a little of everything yeah mm-hmm. take a whole lot of the things that you literally cannot survive without okay good um, the fuel was a big one for us because we thought we were really clever and we filled up our pickup truck early on mm-hmm. but we also discovered making two trips to our oh. destination with a horse trailer sucked up most of that fuel. There it went. Oh my there gosh. So would you get, would you get those gas cans, those big ones kind of the 
ones that look like the big square rectangular kind of things. If you had, well, I guess, get as much as you can is what. Well, you say, yes, right? we have a gas pickup truck, not a diesel. So okay. using the kind that fit in your bed that you see so commonly out west would not work because gasoline cannot be stored that way safely. But yeah. we would um, plan ahead and have a certain number of five-gallon gas cans available yeah. and okay. ready to fill. I would definitely do that again. And we actually had some friends who were staying with us shortly before the storm who had to get back south, which was towards the storm in order to get family together so that they could be safe. And mm. there was nowhere for them to get fuel to get home. That was three days before oh, the storm. Goodness. So goodness we, we found somebody with a gas can and, and we got them fueled up. But um, fuel, huge. Water, we had enough, wa- we took enough water with us. We filled the trash cans. But then when mm-hmm. we came back after the storm, we came back 24 hours after the storm had passed. Mm-hmm. The water and the power was out here at our farm. Uh, well, we didn't, we didn't expect that. So we didn't have water stored here at the farm. Right. <laughs> so we yeah. had that to say. So again, we got caught up in stuff that didn't matter. I didn't really need to worry about my tax. So if I lost it, I'd lost it. I really needed to pack more water. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and, and store some, or just leave those trash cans open. <laughs> and, up and, or and this was something I learned many, many moons ago. It's very common. You take a, 100-gallon water tank, and you fill that up. Well, why not have 600-gallon water tanks and fill those up? Yeah. Uh, a note, to, note here. You're better off using a number of smaller containment devices. For example, we have two horses, uh, and mm-hmm. I would rather have half a dozen 30-gallon tanks than two 100-gallon tanks because if one of them gets fouled, an animal oh. crawls in it and dies, um, debris gets in it, you you can't use it, and you've just lost half your water. Yeah, I see what you're saying, too. And do they blow over? Do you have to worry about how exactly. they're anchored or where they go to? Yeah. Where they're at, how they're anchored, and th- that kind of thing, if if you're going to have water that's stored there. So those mm-hmm. those were a couple of, of takeaways for us, is we didn't have nearly enough fuel. We didn't have nearly enough water. Forage I had down pat. I went and stocked up, and I had tons and Good tons girl. of hay. I had <laughs> hay, and I left my grain behind. It actually went bad by the time I came home. And Mm -hmm. I brought extra bags of pelleted hay, cubed Mm -hmm. hay for me, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. a horse can live for weeks and weeks and weeks and keep his gut healthy on cubed hay. Grain, yeah, (laughs) it really doesn't matter if he's getting grain. He might lose a little weight, but if he's getting grain and no hay, not a good thing. No, exactly, exactly. Worst, actually, all that sugar and everything. Yeah, Good for you. Okay, that's that's awesome news. Now, I'll hit to the behavior side of this, too. I can't tell you how many people said, well, I couldn't evacuate my horse because I can't load him. <clears throat> okay, so so that's, yeah, right, wrong answer. So practice that at home long before you have an emergency. But the other ones that are a little more head-scratchy are, hey, I don't. there isn't room at the equestrian center where I am to park an extra trailer. They charge there or they don't have the room and I have to borrow when I borrow. And those are things you need to think about now um, besides supplies. But how do you get your horses out? 
are they are they ready to be loaded and, and taken out of there? If not, do it every day until they are. Uh, do you have access to a vehicle that is going to help you get out? Because a lot of people were just desperate here on these fires to get out. There just weren't enough people and trailers to go around, which is something. Now, I understand if you have 15 horses and you're up in the hills by yourself, I don't, you know, you, you just have to have some plan. Make a plan and stick to it. But uh, it, it may be a more difficult plan than others have, but it should be a plan nonetheless. And but if you have the opportunity, in mm-hmm. some cases you don't. For, for for some of these folks, they literally are in. They are fine, and then eight hours later, they're get out now. But if you have yeah. that opportunity to plan in advance, so you have five horses, you have a two horse trailer. Do not right. wait until the mandatory evacuation. No. <laughs> is announced. Maybe yeah. you should get um, the easy loading, low maintenance horses to safety well in advance. And mm-hmm. if they didn't need to go, oh, well. Yeah. Well, and, and also things like tagging your horse. Uh, a lot of people didn't know where their horse went. People were wonderful ah! and rescued their horses. And they ended up in pastures and everybody was great about safe, finding out. I've actually, all the ones I heard related to did figure out where home was eventually. But the the last thing that I wanted to go with too is that a lot of people believe if they just turn their horse out of the stall and let them run that they will run away to safety as if horses are really practical that way but oh. they tend to run right back to the barn so yeah. as we know about horses they home is is true north for them and that's the compass so don't count on you know, I, I suppose if the barn is burning, get them out. Yes, turn them loose. But I'm talking about those people who say, I don't have a trailer, so I'll just turn them loose and hope for the best. It, that's not a great plan. That's not in your plan lexicon. Yeah. Do something else. Yeah, that's not but really I'll, a plan. That's that's, that's desperation. Yes, that's desperate that at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, watch some YouTubes now. Watch what, what people are going through and learning right now and get a plan for your area, no matter what your uh, your emergency is, whether you live in hurricane areas or you live in fire areas or water shortage or too much water, whatever it is, get a plan for your area and you'll feel better. You know, you'll sleep better at night and you, you won't ever say, I never thought it wouldn't happen because you you did think about it. It doesn't matter what part of the country you live in. Everybody has some type of mother nature caused emergency that is endemic to their area. Uh, learn what it is. And boy, I, I just can't keep, I can't say it enough. Don't wait until the last minute. And it's so hard because X, Y, or Z is going to happen in your area. You leave mm-hmm. and you go stay elsewhere with you and your horses and everybody's safe. And then you come back and your friends who stayed behind says, well, geez, why'd you leave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- don't worry about it. <laughs> it's yeah. Don't worry about your ego. It, it's yeah. better to be, you know, the the mom in the neighborhood who was over a worry word. Who cares? You know, it's mm-hmm. a good practice. Call it good practice. If you want, we'll give you a little ribbon for that. You there know, that's okay. <laughs> and then, and then, and then hop on and watch all the videos on loading your horse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Go to Monty Roberts university.com and look at the loading. It, it's so simple. If you do it, not under stress, use a long line, use 30 feet, use yeah. 17 feet, train that horse, put some panels. If you want or back it into a corner panels of a are excellent. sand. And I love how something. he, I love how he explains and shows how to use panels because guess mm-hmm. what folks, most, most farms have um, tubular steel gates, 
Pop yeah. those suckers it, off the hinges and you've got instant panels. You don't even need to take them off. Actually, we we show how you can back up with the gate open into yeah. a, you know, a corner that you've created. Just a 90 degree angle is all you need. And you can back your trailer in there. Yeah. Th- there are so many things you can do just to get that horse confident and in getting into the trailer. And also a big tip on emergencies too. Don't tie your horse in the trailer. Even so, don't tie your horse in the trailer. I know a lot of people say don't untie your horse before you drop that back gate. But yeah, it's it, it, in an emergency. Don't even tie your horse in the trailer because there's just too many things that can go wrong on that road back and forth. So it, it's just better put, have, you know, have something around their head, but you know, be careful with all that. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of people that, um, were stories are terrible, but you know what we have, please be safe out there, but we have two people today too, who are both, uh, experts, Christy Landwehr. I can't wait for you to, to meet this lady again. Oh, I if you have Christy. I know Christy. I know you know. No, I know you know her. The listeners who have not been uh, familiar oh, with a, her. She's, she's fabulous. She is fabulous. And she, this is, this lady is a, a, a lexicon, an encyclopedia of, of horsemanship too, and just has so much to share. And we just get her today as, as more of a friend, but uh, she is somebody who also can be a great resource for people to, uh, to learn all about horsemanship from too. And we'll get right to her interview after this from Omega Fields. Thank you. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Christy Landwehr has been active in the horse industry for over 35 years now and currently lives in Aurora, Colorado. Hunter, jumper, dressage, slide saddle, western pleasure, hunter pleasure, barrel racing, endurance riding, and saddle seat equitation are just some of the disciplines that Christy has completed in at and local, regional, and national level uh, multiple breeds. She's done it all. She's been teaching children and adults how to ride for over 30 years, and she doesn't look it either. Christy is a master level riding instructor and equine facility manager clinician through the Certified Horsemanship Association. That's what we call CHA. And she's taught students in 4-H and Pony Club. She's the past president of the American Youth Horse Council and past board member for the Colorado Horse Council. And she's founded and competed on and coached at the University of Colorado at their Boulder Intercollegiate Horse Show Association equestrian team. 
Christy is, it, it just goes on, folks. Christy is an AQHA, APHA professional horseman and on the AQHA National Marketing Committee. Christy has recently been honored uh, by being asked to sit on the Colorado State University Equine Sciences Advisory Council as well. She has an undergraduate degree in public relations and speech communication from the Cal State Fullerton down by in my area in Southern California and a graduate degree in mass communication and journalism from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And Christy has vast experience in marketing and business, too. She was the sponsorship and youth programs manager for the Arabian Horse Association, a trainer for the Skill Path Seminars, and the development director for the urban farm that works with at-risk youth in Denver. Really cool. Currently, she's the chief executive officer for the Certified Horsemanship Association, and that's a nonprofit 501c3 association whose purpose is to promote excellence in safety throughout the equine industry. You see why we're having her on. She's also a clinic instructor and a site accreditor for the organization. Cha recently won the second place award at the American Horse Publications for its newest publication, the Equine Professional Manual, The Art of Teaching Writing. Really a cool manual. And was in the top four for its Equine Vision Award. Of course, right? Cha is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year at its international conference in Lexington, Kentucky in October. Will have just happened. So congratulate. And here is Christy Landware. Well, welcome, Christy Landware of the Certified Horsemanship Association. Thanks for coming back on the show again. I think this is our second time, Christy. Is that right? I think so, Debbie, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. You always have so much going on. I probably should have you on maybe every other month or so, maybe quarterly anyway or something, because you have so many great things. Let's, in case somebody hadn't listened to the episode before and they don't know much about you, let's first talk a little bit about who you belong to. You are the CEO of the Certified Horsemanship Association, and tell us why that's important. Yes, absolutely. So what's kind of cool is that you're catching us uh, in our 50th anniversary. So this organization's been around for 50 years, so long before my time, long before my time. <laughs> so that's good. And we are the largest certifying body of horseback riding instructors and equine facility managers in all of North America. So we've certified over 30,000. Wow. People. And just so everyone's kind of clear on what that means, um, I often talk about Debbie, if I was over in Europe, I would be a government employee because it's mandated in most of the countries mm -hmm. over there by federal law mm -hmm. that everybody gets certified and everybody get their equine facilities accredited. But here it's voluntary. Obviously, your show record and your your other records and things count here. Mm -hmm. um, and you do not have to be certified. But we have had 30,000 people voluntarily say we want to do this to help ourselves with insurance discounts, to help ourselves with marketing efforts and things like that. It's a, an amazing organization and so needed because in Europe, as you say, it's it's been that way forever. I kind of like the fact that you're independent of the government so that, you know, you, you can service us well. And I, I was going to ask you about the 501c3 status, actually. So you are a nonprofit organization, which is pretty cool. And And how does that, how do people take advantage of that? Is there an advantage to that? Yes. So we are, and we're 501c3, which means that donations to us, of course, are a tax write-off. Um, and we're very educational in scope and we need to provide free education in order to keep that tax status. So we do have a YouTube channel where we have lots of free education for anybody that's interested. There are three to 10 minute videos on all kinds of horsemanship, both in the saddle and on the ground that evolve around safety. Mm -hmm. And so good. Those YouTube videos and everything that you, you let people put those on their websites and you really are about outreach as much as good horsemanship. Yeah. 
We try really hard. Yeah, we are. What's nice about um, what we do, Debbie, is that we're all breed, all discipline. Mm -hmm. So there's no such breed that makes a bad school horse and there's no bad discipline to ride, right? Mm -hmm. We can learn from all of them. So we really do say, please utilize that education and embed it. It's completely open free and very easy to download. Yeah, and it is. It's really good. And after 50 years, I guess it should be. But technology is really making everything change so fast. But let's get into your background a little bit and why that technology is being embraced by such a, an, an old, for, for the United States, that's an old organization really in, in the horsemanship world. So you have a background, you not only have a degree, but you also have a, a you have a graduate degree and it, it's Fullerton, I think first, right? You're in Southern California first. You grew up here. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. My bachelor's is from Cal State Fullerton. Yep. And then my master's from CU Boulder, which is where I live now. I live in Denver now. So you stayed there. Is that right? I did. Yeah. I did. I came out for just two years and I never went back home. Oh, I the said, parents. wow, oh, the I parents. could afford, you know, land out here, yeah, which back true. 16 years ago I could. Now land out here is hard too. <laughs> but true. back it's then, gone. yeah, it's yeah, definitely it's, catching it's up. It's so great you're with your background though. I can see why you're such an asset to not only to cha and to the industry, but to horses. You really are because you kind of work left brain, right brain. You, you have both sides of the equation. You're a horse gal. What was your first paying job when you were growing up? My first paid job ever was working for Medieval Times in Buena Park, California, and my official title was Stable Wench. Oh, I love it. Did you have to wear a push-up bra or anything? No, I, mean. I did not. <laughs> Nobody saw me, thank goodness. I was always back with the horses, but it literally said on my paycheck stub in the memo line, stable wench pay. That is so funny. That is, if anybody doesn't know what that is, describe quickly what, uh, what the, what, <laughs> what the show looks like. Yes. So Medieval Times, a dinner and tournament show basically based on Knights of the Realm going out and competing different colors when you go to the dinner that you sit in and your colored knight vies for, of course, you know, the whole leadership and the domination of the other colors within the arena. And we had Andalusians, we had Lipizzaners, we had Lusitanos, and we had a lot of quarter horses that we would use in the show. And so my job was to groom them all, saddle them all and make sure they were at the right spot, ready backstage to go out and perform. That is a great first job, actually. Think about all that white and all that mane and all that tail. <laughs> you, you had a job and a half. And did you do it well? You know, it was fun because I was 16. So yeah. I had my driver's license and my other friends were working at the mall and working at McDonald's and I was saddling horses. So awesome. I think I had the better deal. I think so, too. And I think we got lucky with all that experience that you brought into the industry, too. So we know what you're doing now, and we don't even know how you do it. You've got, you've got three jobs every day, I'm sure, plus a family. Don't forget about your horses. But what gets you up in the morning? What I mean, what fuels that passion? What keeps you going? Debbie, you know that there's an old saying. They say, if you're passionate about what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. And that's the key here. Um, I have been teaching riding lessons since I hung a shingle mm-hmm. at about 17 and had some family friends that said, hey, we'll pay you 10 bucks an hour to teach our kid how to ride on your, I had a POA at the time named Popcorn, Pony Uh-oh. the Americas. <laughs> and I said, sure, I'll teach on Popcorn. Let's do this. And I was making minimum, which was more like seven an hour at evil time. So I did both. I made my 10 an hour doing that and seven an hour doing that. And it was just really, really fun. And so now all these years later, I get to actually um, say, you know, there's a good way to be a rider 
writing instructor and a not so good way to be a writing instructor. And I enjoy the public speaking aspect of what I get to do, like being on your show today That's and what I get to go and, you know, actually be face to face with, let's say, a different breed association to talk about risk management and safety. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many varied things that I yeah. do every day. I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah. Okay. So you never know what's going to happen when you get up in the morning. You really don't. No. You open up your email and you go, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> we're, and we're off. Um, well, the other side of it is I noticed in your bio, we read your bio ahead of this, is that you have also contributed your life and time to things like uh, skill path seminars and the urban farm for youth. So what breaks your heart? You know, the urban farm was a really powerful job for me. Um, they work primarily with at-risk youth, and they did it based on financial income of the family. So the families would submit their W-2s, and they would, because of how much money or how little money they made, the writing lessons were free all the way up to full price. So now you would have privileged kids in there with not privileged kids, and we changed lives at that place because of the animals. Um, we really did. And one of the young men that I worked with, his name is Ryan. He won't mind if I call him out. Um, he actually went so far as to work for Aaron Ralston, who, of course, for those that don't know, is a famous um, trainer and instructor himself and was able to cult start for Aaron. Um, he also then went on to become his own trainer, and he now runs his own operation, cutting horses and reining horses. And wow, how powerful. Ryan did. So, wow. Yep. That was a pretty amazing, amazing place to work. Mm -hmm. So, so that's part of the deal that gets you up in the morning too, is that, you know, you can make a difference. I'll tell you, I think as we all know, um, based on everything that we all do, horses do make a difference Mm -hmm. in daily lives. Um, you know, we talk about therapeutic horsemanship and I always laugh because I don't care if you teach quote unquote therapeutic riding or not, it's therapeutic to all of us. It's therapeutic to get on that horse and go down the trail. It's therapeutic to go out and do groundwork with them. It's therapeutic to feed them and just stand in the barn and smell them. Mm -hmm. Right. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I dare any social worker to deny that. I don't think they would. That's correct. Not one that knows. Anyway. So I got to thinking about you and I was thinking crazy thought. So what if you worked outside the horse world? What if you never (laughs) made that first leap? What would you be doing right now? Well, let me tell you, my first job out of my master's degree, which I got in broadcast news, was not the horse industry. It was working for WB Channel 2 here in Denver as a TV news reporter. Wow. That's a different track. Were you happy? No. Oh, (laughs) I know. Yeah. So it was very much, if it bleeds, it leads, Debbie. And right. it was very much negative and very pessimistic. And to be quite frank with you, I don't think it's changed much. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized that news was not really why I was there. I was there more for the public speaking side of it and the engagement and the wanting to go out and interview people with cool stories. Mm-hmm. And so after that was over, I, I left them um, pretty quickly. And I worked for the Arabian Horse Association. I had been an intern for them on their magazine while going to college. And they actually had an open for their youth programs director. So I ran all their kids programs for years. And boy, that was much better for me than TV news. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it got you a little um, edge on, uh, on our equestrian world because we don't always come off in media the most polished. And that's okay. But um, I mean, social media has sort of stayed with us, which is sort of nice, you know, that we're, we're casual that way. But it probably put you in a very good position to speak for Cha and to speak for those that, uh, that can't speak as well for, for themselves. I, I wonder if, if how does Cha help the industry the most, do you think? 
I would say it gives an avenue for people to be able to find a professional without just going on Google. I think we Google everything anymore. And, you know, moms and dads are so busy, especially with their children, to find activities for them that we truly are in CHA a first touch organization. So because most of us have school horses. So if people come to us for riding lessons, whether they're a child or whether they're an adult, if that experience is bad, they're going to go say not so good things about our industry. They're going to never buy a horse, buy a saddle, do any of that. They're going to go play soccer or do something else. So I just love the fact that we're an alternative for people to be able to find an instructor or a barn near them that they know have gone through some sort of a good housekeeping seal of approval. Right, exactly. Even better, really, because it's tried and true real life, not just a product. Um, So you you feel pretty good about the direction that horsemanship is going? You know, I do. We... um, we are all, always on a new adventure. You know, our tried and true is our standard English and Western, where you can get certified in both in a 40-hour clinic. And, you know, we're always looking for new host sites. We always are getting new host sites. Um, we're focusing a lot on the colleges and universities so that their graduating seniors can come out not only with their bachelors, but also with kind of trade school from us. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of both. And we have a pretty new day ride trail guide certification for those that are just putting people up for an hour or two and not necessarily going into the backcountry. And then of course we have our equine facility manager certification for the barn managers themselves, everything from stable worker all the way up to the one doing the paperwork inside the office. Mm So, and that's been a fun program too. That's really good. It, I, I'm totally sold on, on Cha and the industry because of Cha. I, I really do believe that we are moving into the next uh, level. I, I couldn't get off without asking you about helmets. I, you know, that I, I just got off another interview and it, it's confusing. The English world's got it. You know, I mean, they've got the Riders for Helmets was this last weekend. Um, it's a national drive to get people wearing helmets all the time. Um, but the Western world, you know, is working on embracing it yet. So cha 100%, I assume, because of safety issues and everything. But how do you get people convinced to, to get into that in the Western world? Yes, and you'll actually be interested in this, Debbie. We're not 100%. So we are strongly recommend, highly recommend. And the reason why we don't mandate them is, quite frankly, because we want the Rainers to play with us. We want the dude ranch operators to play with us. We want the cowboys to play in our ballpark. So we require them. Of course, when you go get certified, uh, people out there that don't want to wear one, you're going to be putting one on. And when you come to our regional conferences and international conferences where we allow people to ride horses in those, you'll be putting one on. But we're not going to mandate mandate that our instructors force their students to do so or themselves to do so because we would like everyone to play in the sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Choice based. I I get that. So what do you think, where where do you see people kind of, you know, the bull riders, we just talked about this, the bull riders, uh, you know, kind of figured it all out finally (laughs) that they really probably should be in a cage. They got the vests and everything and and they're the most dangerous I would think. But now I see the barrel racers uh, getting into it and some of the other disciplines that aren't, you know, completely traditional that way. uh, But there's such speed and safety issues at it. What what do you think is going to flip the I'm not worried about the 12 year old right now. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe our future is okay because moms make sure that the 12 year olds, you know, wear, wear a helmet. But what about those moms? I mean, there's such a demographic of, you know, women over 40 getting back into horses or always wanted to be into horses. Um, how do we convince them that their melon up there is a little delicate? You know, I think education is key. There is, it's a pretty older video now, but it's called Every Time, Every Ride, and it's mm-hmm. really well done. Uh, Washington State University, kind of those people in extension up there created that. 
And it's still very good. And I just think, you know, education is going to be the key. And, you know, there was a time, Debbie, where nobody wore a seatbelt. I know. That's now true. everybody does. It is just a habit. And I know that that was kind of forced on us by government. And hopefully we'd never get to where our industry is forced yeah. on us to wear a helmet by government. Some states it is, which is not necessarily, I think, the right approach. But, you know, I think education and the more people realize what a concussion is and how a concussion might not even show up for a day or two and all these kinds of things, I think that's going to help. Yeah, that's good. Well, see, you are good. You are good. So I heard you just got a kind of a terrific grant that I'd love to ask you about. What's the latest on the news from the grants? We did. So, you know, as a 501c3, we can apply for grants and we don't do it very often because, you know, that takes a whole nother set of, well, being willing to spend time to get told no. But every now and then we get a few that cross our desk where we know that they're really going to be good for our industry and that there really is something that we can partner with people. So it's a regional project just for those um, here in Colorado that will hopefully eventually go more nationally. We have a region nine, which consists of Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, Wyoming, kind of our neighboring states. And we just uh, had a grant um, bestowed upon us by the Right Horse Initiative. And they are working to rehome horses, basically, and help with that process. And so this is Harmony Equine Center that's located here in Franktown, Colorado, as an intake facility for animals seized by the sheriff. They would take these animals in first. They would um, ascertain with kind of a behavioral model whether or not they might make a good lesson horse or whether or not maybe they had some training in their past. And then after being with them for a while, they would get um, put over to Colorado State University here in Fort Collins, which is, has a big equine program. Mm -hmm. And they would go ahead and um, put them with students for a semester or two to get more training on them. And then this grant would provide the money to ship the horses um, to our different instructors in the region to be able to have them as lesson horses. So mm -hmm. when we have asked our members in the past, and we've done many, many surveys, why don't you get these horses that are going through second homes and those types of things? And a lot of times we hear, well, we don't know their background. Mm -hmm. And we want to know that in a court of law, we can go ahead and say, you know, this horse had this much training. This is what they did. This is what they know. And you don't always know that with some of these rehomed horses, whereas with this program, they will know that. And then the other thing that always made our members go, yeah, I don't think so, is the cost of shipping them. They were like, nope, if they're not up the road, I don't want to deal with it. Well, now because of this grant, the shipping is going to be provided. Oh, so we're fantastic. very thankful. Very thankful. Yeah, that's fantastic. What a great program too. So Harmony Right Horse Initiative. Um, so yes. Yeah, so it's called the Right Horse Initiative. And then the Harmony Equine Center, CSU and ourselves are all partners on the grant. That is great. Okay. Thanks for that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's some, you know, people starting to get it, that, that, that there are problems and there are solutions. So that's really good. So you're at Colorado State University area. Am I right about that? Yes. Yeah, so Fort Collins is about an hour away. And I actually sit on their equine advisory council. And we just had our meeting there a couple of weeks ago. And boy, that's a diverse group. And we talk about some hard issues in that meeting. It's a right. great meeting. That's good. And so you've got your conference. Let's see, you will have just completed your conference by, by the time people hear this. So what are the kinds of uh, talents that you have for keynotes and speakers at, at your conference? And tell us a little bit about that, what that looks like. Yes. And first of all, for anyone listening, you know, our conferences are not just for instructors. We have regional ones that might be in your own backyard. And we also, of course, have our big international one that next year in the fall will be um, in the last weekend in September of 18 at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. But what's neat about our conference is that we're not hotel based. So we might have one day at the hotel, but then the other two days we're at the university 
Or this year we were at the Kentucky Horse Park and we actually put people on horses. So you're going to get to ride because horses are provided by a local university program member of ours. And that's what's so great about it. You know, you get an opportunity to actually ride as well as sit and listen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get that all arranged. Like how many people show up for these conferences? Lots. Yeah. Yeah, normally in between two and 300. That's probably our norm. Yeah. And they come from, boy, every state and every province in Canada. Our Canadians love coming down for them. Yeah, that's right. Especially if you have them in the winter. No, you have them in October, so it's not too bad. But yes. but, uh, so, so brag on some of the speakers that you've had. Tell us about some of the talent you've had there. Yeah, definitely. So we have a wide variety of people. Um, we have, oh, veterinarians and equine dentists and lots of business and marketing professionals and lawyers that actually talk kind of in a PowerPoint environment. And then our hands-on people, we actually um, have had National Reining Horse Association come and bring Ryder Rainer to us. We've had National Cutting Horse Association come and bring Ride a Cutter to us. Mm, We've nice. had the Polo Association come and we all got to play polo. Oh, come on. This is I fun. know. So <laughs> I'll tell you, for those that are listening that want to try something different, you need to come. We've had uh, the Driving Association come and we've driven horses. I mean, these are the kind of things that we do at our event um, just to kind of get out of your box. So whatever your box is, whatever discipline or whatever it is that you primarily do, boy, I'll tell you, nothing so humbling as to change your discipline. <laughs> for a day. That's true. But so fun too. Oh, right? so much no pressure. Fun. No pressure. So much fun. That is just great. That's just great. Well, I love Colorado. I love, you know, we have good friends up there. It's just a great place to go. We've, uh, so many of our listeners love the people that are in the equine behavior world, like Temple Grandin, who, who is a I think she's a full professor there at Colorado State University. And yes. um, you just have so much talent and ability around you. I'm just glad your vortex is spinning and you pull it all in. So where, where do people get a hold of you? Yes, they'd go to cha.horse. We just acquired .horse instead of oh, .com, yeah. .org, whatever. And if yeah. anybody out there wants to get a .horse name, just go on our website, click down at the bottom, and you can find out how to do it and give CHA a little bit of money back. So we appreciate cool. that. That's a but yeah, idea. so... If we know CHA dot whatever was taken, Colorado Hockey Association, you know, (laughs) well, Canadian Health Association. So we've been this kind of long website name for the longest time. And now we're simply CHA dot horse, which makes perfect sense. And it shows that you are a master in marketing, too. I think that's wonderful. Ah, Debbie, I appreciate that. (laughs) I don't know about a master, but I definitely try to do some fun stuff. Oh, you definitely are. I mean, at the at the. We we went together to the uh, AHP, which is the American Horse Publications, yes. and you won some great awards, which we mentioned in the lead up to announce you. And your manual won- took second place uh, in its category, and it was amazing. I mean, this, that competition is really stiff, and you've got Sarah Conrad who's helping you. And, but I love that you flipped over your phone, and you've got this clever little pocket thing that you stuck on the back of your phone that has CHA and the logo on it, and you keep your little credit cards in there. I thought, that's all I need? I love that. So you're so smart. It was really fun. But you're going to crack up about this, though. I had to create a video to show people what it was because we just sent it out with everyone's <laughs> renewals this year. Like, oh, look, you get a prize. Aren't you glad? Oh. Aren't you happy? And we had some of our members that have been around a while that were like, uh, we don't know what this is. <laughs> they were putting it on Facebook. We don't know what this is. So I did a little video. In my home office of me showing them what it is. It was, it's it was pretty cute. So funny. Somebody stuck it to their helmet. Somebody, oh, <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> well, it, it's a great identifier. It was a great idea and it just is so Christy. It's so perfect. So thanks again for being on the show. I appreciate you. I always learn a ton and we'll have to do this regularly, as I said again. And good luck at the conference. I know that uh, it's already happened by the time you listen to this, but I can say from me to you, good luck. 
Thank you very much. We'll talk soon, Debbie. I appreciate you. Bye, Christy. I appreciate you too. Bye. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. When Susan Friedland Smith is not teaching middle school or wrangling her Doberman, Golden Retriever, and horse hubby Mark, Susan Friedland Smith of Orange County, California, is either at the barn with her off-the-track thoroughbred night or behind her laptop blogging. Susan's award-winning blog, Saddle Seeks Horse, celebrates the horse-centric lifestyle of the everyday equestrian, focusing on product reviews and riding with fitness trackers and lessons learned from horses both in and out of the saddle. Trot along with Susan and Knight's adventure on her blog, SaddleSeeksHorse.com. And she's on Instagram and Facebook and all those. And here she is. Well, welcome, Susan Friedland-Smith. Do you always introduce yourself with three names like that? Well, in my real life as a teacher, I think most people are used to calling me Miss Friedland. That's but true. <laughs> um, I, But in the horse world, I'm known as Susan Friedland-Smith. I love it. Good. It's very catchy. And, you know, I think three names, always, I always remember those better. And, you know, you have a lot of good things going in your life. So we like to remember you. That's why we brought you on. I think we first met... Uh, this last summer or uh, June in Arizona. Was that the first time we met at the American Horse Publications Conference? Yeah, it was in Phoenix. And uh, I seem to recall standing there talking to you and Glenn, the geek. um, And we got into a conversation about a kind of scary riding accident I had just had that happened in May. The conference was in June. Right. Yes. Tell us. Oh, tell the, the listeners about that because that was harrowing. But there's a good good ending to the story, so it's a good tip. Yeah. Thankfully. So um, basically, and it was funny because when I was talking to you and Glenn, I was telling the tale, and then I thought, "Am I oversharing?" <laughs> but you guys seemed like you were interested. So oh, um, fascinated. Yeah. No, it was, it's a good. Yeah. Okay. Good so basically, the skinny version is um, I have an off-track thoroughbred. He's a good horse. And I've been riding for most of my life, and um, I won't reveal my age, but it's been decades. <laughs> and um, his name's Knight, and uh, so we just had our Wednesday night riding lesson. And you would think the most dangerous part of your ride is while you're actually riding, mm-hmm. and we do a little bit of jumping. So you would think like the jumping would be the scary, not scary, but like if something's going to happen, that it would happen at that point. Sure. But um, as a friend and I, um, the woman who rides with me every Wednesday, we have this little ritual where we kind of cool our horses out by doing a big lap of the property. And um, 
she has a different uh, set of cross ties than I do. So I kind of paused when we were done with our lap near where she dismounts. And we were just sitting on our horses talking about our lesson. And we usually catch up on life. And while this was going on, my horse Knight was just a little antsy. And he kind of um, somehow grabbed a little bit of the rain in his mouth and was chewing on it. And he, he is a cribber. So, you know, the chewing thing, he's, he, that's kind of his deal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I grabbed it out and, um, he had just been diagnosed with early stages EOTRH, um, which sometimes does make them a little more chewy, almost like a puppy dog. So I was really annoyed. It's like, um, EOTRH, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's basically a tooth and gum disease that, um, can make them pretty sensitive. Um, from what I've learned, it's, commonly found in older horses. Um, and so anyway, he, this cribbing behavior, he's not like a hardcore cribber, but occasionally. So this new puppy dog chewing thing had just started. I'm like, this is driving me crazy. Um, so while I was mounted chatting with my friend, chewing a little bit on the rain, and then he even like started chewing on the martingale. I don't know how he was talented enough to do that. And so I'm like, you know, talking at the same time, like trying to pull the leather strap out of his mouth. And then he turned his head and he doesn't do this. And he went to chew on my stirrup and he got stuck. So his bit somehow, I mean, it all happened so fast. I didn't clearly see what happened, but basically he got stuck realized that he couldn't turn his head and neck back straight. So he was like in this weird arc shape and he panicked Mm -hmm. and he did the best way I can describe it is donuts. Like Mm -hmm. if you've ever lived where it snows and the ice, I'm from Chicago. Like that's a thing where you're not really supposed to do it, but in an empty parking lot, you can, you know, (laughs) turn your car really fast and do a bunch of circles. So maybe more fun in an empty parking lot in a car, but not fun when you're on your horse. Mm -hmm. And so I flew off, which um, you know, hindsight was like amazing because I could have been really seriously hurt. So what happened was I fell and he was still stuck together and he continued to spiral and spiral and spiral about 50 feet until he just fell down and, uh, he fell down feet facing the sky. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, this is the end of my horse. And, uh, so somehow thankfully in the fall, it detached And so by this time, my friend that I've been talking to had given me her horse that I was holding and she ran over and grabbed him. And when he took his first step, I was like, okay, his legs aren't broken, (laughs) but I didn't know if anything else was. So it was just really scary. And, um, when I was really shaken up and when I came home, was sharing it with my husband who is an optimist. And once he learned I was okay, he said, you should write a blog post about that. (laughs) And so... Um, my trainer called me a little bit later just to check in on me again to make sure I was doing okay. And I told her what my husband had said. And she said, you know what? You really should because I see people let their horses chew on the tip of their boot all the time. And they think it's really cute. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, we both kind of agreed, uh, not cute, potentially yeah. really dangerous. So I wrote a blog post and, um, It went viral on Facebook and I felt a little weird because I don't want to like sensationalize like I almost died. And so, (laughs) but, um, the real fruit, I guess, of this 
near tragedy was the fact that so many people responded and shared this post and um, added in, you know, further tips in their comments like, oh, don't let your horse rub you know, with the bridle on, because if you're wearing boots on the front feet, I once saw a horse that got something stuck and then it like reared and flipped over and the rider was really injured. And so, um, yeah, so that was a a learning experience for me and it was great for my blog. And, um, and it's a good tip that it hadn't, yeah, Yeah, I wish it hadn't (laughs) happened too, but you know, let's use it then you have good, good ending anyway, in this case. And, uh, and some people, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there probably nodding their heads having heard something like it. I mean, the rubbing the bit, uh, you know, even like, do you leave a halter on when you turn out or not? You know, this is all big debates. And I think real stories kind of teach us a lot about what we, um, even like walking down the trail and letting your head the horse's head turn too much, you know, and not pay attention to where he's going. Little things like that, you know, everybody knows that eventually those little things catch up with us if we're not, you know, we have a job to do out there. I know we're enjoying ourselves and everything too, but there are safety issues that, um, that horses as, as confident and competent as they are can get themselves in trouble with, with little things, you know, and I don't want to go as far as to say, they are always bent on self-destruction. I know some people, some people talk about that, that like something's always happening, but that's not always true. I, I think a lot of it is how much we prepare or how much we're aware around us too. Do you carry a, a knife with you or any other safety equipment like that? You know what? It's so funny you asked that because several of the comments um, on the Facebook post, people put that in the comments. Like that's the reason why I always carry a knife and backing up to that. I'm, I don't fancy myself like an outdoors woman at all. Like I don't like camping and I wasn't in Girl Scouts, but um, for Christmas, there's actually this um, equestrian bloggers gift exchange where we do like a secret Santa. And um, so for this past Christmas, the person who got my name sent me this amazing pocket knife for horse people. And it has like the hoof pick in it and the main (laughs) comb and, um, so it's in my car. I don't know why. That's like I'm not using it yeah, in my you, car. You shouldn't leave it in your car. <laughs> not going to do any good in your car. But. Yeah. So I need to figure out how to. I, I don't know how I would. I don't think well, it, it might be a little too lumpy in my breeches, but there's got to be a way I can kind of incorporate it into my uh, overall. Yeah. You know. Yeah, outfit. there should be like. I mean, if we can put a cell phone on our bodies, I think we would probably come up with a way to put it. But um, a lot of the Western world's got this figured out. You know, there's we put a little hoof pick in our, um, you know, attached to the saddle and a little holster kind of thing, and you know, and that's a big part of like ACFA um, awards or, or you know, competitive trail association. They they look for these little. You know, oh, um, yeah, little things like that because they know you're on a trail, and you know, there's there's times when you need those things. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, up in the mountains, we've carried even hoof boots, you know, like one, um, hoping and if you lose the shoe or something like that. So, uh, anyway, so one thing I wanted to get into though was helmets because when you came off, I wanted to hear about were you wearing a helmet? How safe were you? Yeah. So I always wear a helmet and I feel really strongly about it because I had a weird situation on my previous horse where I fell off from a halt and, um, I didn't know that that could, so I guess these were both kind of halts, except this most recent one was like a halt with some added spinning. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so my previous horse, uh, was kind of dust 
time, you know, the lighting wasn't great and I was at a halt and I don't know what he saw. He spooked and one minute I was on his back and the next minute I was on the ground and I fell as though I were like, you know, in a lounge chair, like my head, my head and back like fell and hit um, at the same time. So I had a mild concussion, but didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in a lesson. So there wasn't a voice of reason there saying, wait, you shouldn't get back on. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did get back on and my vision was really blurry and it was scary. And, uh, so long story short, I ended up going to the ER and I did have a mild concussion. So I just thought like it could have been so much worse if I didn't have a helmet on. So yeah, so I ride with a helmet. I did have a helmet on and I actually, for the the donut fall, I got to land on my rear end, which is probably the ideal place to land. But I landed like kind of on my right hip. So I did have a bruise kind of on my thigh. And in hindsight, also, I think I must have jammed my right wrist because my wrist still feels really tight. Like it doesn't have pain. But if I try to do too many push-ups or planks, I know that makes me sound like I'm a hardcore wow, gym yeah, rat, I'm and I'm really not, but I do try to exercise. <laughs> it, it does hurt a little bit. You can feel it. So yeah. thankfully the head was fine, but the rest of me, maybe not as much. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you had to prioritize, a head is a good spot to start. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's that's cool that you're wearing a helmet. And now uh, foil to the Western world. This is a part of the world that we don't do so well in Dewey. With this, a lot of Western hats. I mean, you and I live on the, on the West Coast. So, you know, we know that the Western hat is not a protective helmet. <laughs> for the head, but seems to be um, still pretty pervasive in the Western world. But I think it's changing. I think if if we could find a way to make a Western helmet that looked cool, you know, it would help a lot, but it hasn't happened well, yet. Well, actually, you know what, there's, I mean, I'm not the judge of cool because I'm not really in the Western disciplines, but I had a chance to do the cowboy mounted shooting and when, oh, yeah. at the conference that you and I were at together. And, um, you know, Resist All makes their ride safe helmet, which looks I've like a black one. cowboy hat helmet. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So um, I've worn that and I thought it was really comfortable. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the Western fashion police would <laughs> arrest you, but I think it's a, when I realized that that was a thing and existed, I thought this is really great because, yeah. you know, a lot of people I think would want that. Yeah. Or, or similar, not necessarily that brand, but, um, you know, something similar. Yeah, well, they've got, yeah, they're one of the few out there that have really kind of figured it out. I mean, the others are trying to convert the helmet look into kind of a Western tooled leather or graphics that look kind of Western. You know, barrel racers are definitely using a lot of them. So, so it's a good thing. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're transitioning over there so that it's almost like becoming unisex, right? You know, like you see the bull riders mm-hmm. with cages on, they never used to wear helmets. Um, it, but you'd think they'd be the first spot to start. And they were, they were good. They're wearing um, vests and things like that as well. So it, it's happening. It's happening slow. But of course, you know what us moms do? We put it on our kids for sure, right? Okay. We don't want the kids <laughs> melon to get hurt, <laughs> but we're not so mm-hmm. sure about ours yet, but, um, but it's happening. Now you did something over the weekend that I want to talk about, and it does have to do with helmets. You put on a helmet haiku contest. You'll have to tell us about that. Yes. Okay. Well, um, I have a pretty, I'm a teacher. I think I mentioned that for my day job and I have about an hour commute every day. So it's great thinking time. And, um, I just wanted to do something fun on the blog to kind of bring about more awareness to the annual, um, international helmet awareness day that is put on by riders for helmets. And so I thought, you know, I wonder if I could do a haiku contest. Like I wasn't sure, uh, you know, I'm, 
a credentialed English teacher, so I'm a hair on the nerdy side with uh, poetry and that kind of thing. So I wasn't sure how this would go over within the equestrian community, but I just thought, you know what, even if a few people enter the contest, it's totally okay because it's fun and, you know, a great way just to, sure. I don't know, share on social media. Yeah. 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 Sure. So I did that and I... It was a lot of fun, and um, yeah, so describe what a haiku is for those of us. Oh, who are, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Sounds, okay. sounds so like we're haiku, go, going Asian it, here, but no, it's yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> so it is a form of Japanese poetry, and it is a three-line poem, and it's supposed to be unrhyming. The first and the third lines have five syllables, and the second line has seven syllables. And originally, they were supposed to be only about nature, but, you know, in an educational setting or a blog haiku helmet contest, <laughs> you know, you could do about any theme. So the theme for the haiku contest was helmet safety. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just a lot of fun. And I had a lot of people emailing me their haiku and saying, you know, this is a great idea. And, you know, I know I'm only supposed to enter one, but here are two oh, more and so sending sweet. pictures of their horses. And so it was just, it was a great, so is it uh, a, I don't know. A first I, annual I or are you going to do this for them every year? Well, I, I think I would like to. And I think what I should do for next year is maybe reach out to some of the helmet companies because oh, the prize okay. I gave was like a gift card. But I would love to incorporate it to maybe have some actual helmets as prizes. Oh, good idea. So, so smart. Yeah. And so, Got it. Got it. Are you prepared to give us a clever one or two? And you have to do it in your oh best haiku voice. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see here. I got to be honest. The phone, the, the landline that I'm speaking from is like on the opposite side of the room from the computer. Okay. But if you can do some filler talking, I can look up on my phone here. But it'll just take oh, yes. Uh, yes. Ignore that woman behind the curtain for a second while we talk about... Um, helmets. So you mentioned Riders for Helmets, and I'm so glad you did because that organization, that movement really was started out of something that we were kind of sort of related to, interesting enough, uh, back in, oh my gosh, I can't remember the year actually, but it was the first year that I met the before mentioned um, Glenn the Geek. It, we had met in Florida at a, at a succeed Christmas uh, festival that they had down there. And this festival put my dad, Monty Roberts, together with a woman by the name of Courtney King Dye. And dad and Courtney were to do this pas de deux with uh, she on her big dressage warm blood and dad on the tiniest little mare, quarter horse, um, Rainer. And so he borrowed a little Rainer down there, and she was just as cute as a button and, and talented, too, and fast and could keep up with the swarm blood. So, of course, they did this wonderful uh, pas de deux that everybody was either crying or laughing or a little bit of both while they were um, performing out there as part of this festival. And it was just very cool, and it was a fundraiser, and it was just a nice thing to see. Well, it wasn't – I mean, Courtney King died super talented dressage lady. And so just shortly after that, what does she do? She goes out and I think the story goes that she, she was trying a horse out. She just was going to get on for a few minutes. You know how this story goes and didn't put the helmet on and came off and is lucky to be alive today, has been recovering ever since, was in a coma for an extended length of time. And there was a big rally around her. And one strategic person that was at this festival, Lindsay White, who was working for Succeed at the time, 
Lindsay White was instrumental, along with people that she pulled into her wonderful vortex, that created Writers for Helmets to make awareness of the fact that it can happen on the spur of the moment, like like you had, Susan, just, uh, you know, one of those freak moments. Um, you can be on a halt. You can be on a nothing. If, if you're up elevated off the ground and something unpredictable happens, there you go. So they have every year created this International Helmet Awareness Day. As Susan said, it was September 16th and just over this uh, past. So it's past now, but put it on your calendar for next year. It's always in September. I'm not sure if it's uh, it's probably a Saturday in September. And a lot of the, the helmet companies are really getting behind it. So I'm, I'm happy to say that. Did you find your haiku yet, Susan? Okay. Yeah, I found a couple here. Okay. Um, so this one I thought was really clever. Well, they all were. Some of them were really funny and then some were really deep. Like, wow, that person must really be a poet. <laughs> okay. Here we go. This brain defender keeps me thinking on my toes. Mm. appreciation. Nice. And that was by Jess K. Okay. And would you like Brain another Brain defender. One? Yes, please. Brain defender. Okay. I look like I am five, but you keep my noggin so safe. Buckle up. <laughs> See, that's that mom. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Can uh, got one more. Okay. Here's another one that is like a little more personal. Thank you, dear helmet, for protecting my noggin when I hit a tree. Yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not Here's counting another syllables. One. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm not either. But when I do, I always have to like tap my finger on the desk to do it. I don't know why. Okay. Here's another one. Gravity exists. Horse eating monsters do too. Please wear a helmet. Nice. Horse-eating yeah. monsters are the reason we land on the ground, I guess. That's what mm-hmm. I'm getting from yep. that. <laughs> well, so Knight is sort of your knight in shining armor now. He's sort of become your spokesperson when you're doing your Facebook lives and sort of lurking in the background, I think, as you said. Um, and he's been a good boy since. He's not given you any more concussions. You've been up top. No. Well, no, I didn't have a concussion from him. I just had the pain in my wrist and you know some bruises. And obviously I did have a little bit of, I think, emotional slash mental trauma because the night after that donut accident happened, I had a series of really terrible nightmares and my husband woke me up because I guess I was like screaming. But no, he's been fine. He did get cast a couple of weeks ago. So you know how it is with horses. Um just he, he was fine from the incident, but just you know had some swollen legs, and he's actually seeing a chiropractor today. So um, okay. yeah, so he's doing great. Okay, well, good. That's good because we'd like to keep up with you, and uh, you, you have a wonderful blog. So that's Saddle Seeks Horse is your blog. Gosh, you have a Pinterest account, you have a Twitter account, an Instagram atta- account, and Facebook, and now you do Facebook Live. You're just like the um, the progressive horsewoman here, huh? Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. No, it's just fun. It's um, obviously uh, one of the best parts about social media. I kind of do love hate social media because, like, <laughs> I am so not like, oh, let's do a selfie. I think there's some uh, narcissism that goes along with some of the social media channels. But so hopefully I'm not like that. But um, what's been great for me is 
like actually forging relationships because not everyone, except for my friends at the barn, um, not everyone gets us horse people. So just having another channel uh, to kind of meet people. And actually some of the people I've met through my blog have become in-person, real-life friends. And so oh, that's, that's nice. That's, yeah. yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, as it should be. And you've won awards. You're the best unconventional pet blog winner. I love that from Blog Pause <laughs> 2016. But you also write for magazines and, and do some writing for alternate um, mediums, not just yours, right? Yeah. So um, I write a lot for Sidelines Magazine. Um, which if you're unfamiliar with that, it is a magazine that's kind of like the people magazine of the horse world. And then I also write on occasion for Horse Illustrated, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar with. And um, just this uh, month right now, uh, I have written for my first non-equestrian publication for um, uh, Scottsdale Modern Luxury Magazine. So, But it was a horse theme I wrote about... um, Zinta Polo, who is one of the shining stars on Instagram. She's a model in real life and an actual polo player. So, yeah, some branch now a little bit. But then I'm going to keep it into the horse realm because that's what I, you know, love and I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Well, and we live pretty close together. Horse Illustrated, I think, is in Irvine, which is right between us, right? Yeah. Headquartered right here. We'll have to get you to the farm to flag us up farms in Solving sometime, too, and meet up there with real horses around us instead of a hotel in Phoenix. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I would love that because I love that particular area of California. So you don't have to ask me twice. Okay. (laughs) I'm already already packing my bags. (laughs) Well, that's good. We should do it pretty quickly here now. And uh, we will welcome you there. Maybe we'll get you in a Western saddle then too. You can a little ride around the ranch. That'd be fun. I would love that. Thanks so much for giving us your time today. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we learned a lot. We got good tips out of it, too, and uh, we'll have to go read your blog and watch for your um, – and, and next year, I want to hear that you did your Haiku Helmet Awareness Day contest again. Excellent. Okay, well, I will do that, and uh, thank you for having me. It was great talking to you, and um, I love Horse Radio Network. Thank you so much, Susan. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the herd. Dear Monty, When you did join up with Shy Boy in the Wild, did it silence your critics? Does everyone now know that your methods work? Thanks a lot. Monty's answer. I would first like to ask a question myself. Does any one thing we ever do silence all of the critics? The answer is no. I believe that it answered questions for many thousands of people. Many more thousands were teased into further studying the principles involved in the process they saw on video. A percentage, however, have dismissed the whole exercise as being contrived by video presentation. In order to defend this view, they would have to believe that the BBC was acting in concert with me to cheat the public. The BBC is a large organization with a long history of leading the world in the area of creating documentaries. It had a government wildlife expert on hand as a referee. 
It hired the services of Dr. Robert Miller, a world-renowned equine behaviorist, to observe and comment on every aspect of the exercise. The BBC brought its own film team, and they were present around the clock to watch every move that I made. Shy Boy was wild when we started and carrying a rider when we finished. And yet some people said that he was trained before the filming event. Others maintained that we used drugs in order to accomplish the task. Dr. Miller has taken great offense at this assertion. Furthermore, any good horse person could tell at a glance that the horse wasn't drugged. So, the answer is no, but I would estimate that at least 90% of the viewers of this documentary were convinced and many more had their heads turned in a slightly different direction. I am pleased that I did it, and I sincerely believe that Shy Boy is pleased as well. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. November 2nd, he will be at the Richmond Equestrian Center in the UK. Then November 4th, he'll be at the Alnick Ford Equestrian Center in the UK. Then he goes over to Germany, and that'll be November 9th. He'll be in Ansbach, Germany. November 11th, he'll be in Nubalak, Germany. And November 12th, he'll be in Nubalak again as an overflow. And then November 18th and 19th, he'll be in Berlin. I hope you can make some of those. For those of you closer to home in the USA, in California, in July and August, he'll be July 23 through August 3rd. He'll be doing his Gentling Wild Horses course at Flags Up Farms in California. And then August 6 through 10, right after that, will be the iconic Monty Special Training at Flags Up Farms in California. And if you didn't get all that stored away in your long-term memory, you can find it all and more at MontyRoberts.com, or you can speak with a real, live, helpful, and informative human being at Flag is Up Farms by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you will find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And we love your feedback. We say it every single show. Follow us on Facebook. Just look for Monty Roberts on Facebook. And you can also right. follow Monty on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And get the app. Never miss an episode. Just go to your app store for your Android or iPhone and search mm-hmm. Horse Radio Network in your app store. You can download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. It is. And it's many thanks to our sponsors that we're here at all. And I appreciate Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty's Equus Online University. That's MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network, too, at www.HorseRadioNetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.